This is Macro Horizons, High Quality Spreads, Monthly Episode 5, A Bird in the Hand. I'm your host, Dan Creeder, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the smooth year-end from 2019 to 2020 and what it means for both credit and swap spreads in the new year. Each month, we offer a view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics that you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. I welcome everybody and Happy New Year to everyone listening here to our first podcast edition of 2020. And before looking ahead, I think it makes sense to start by looking backward and talk about how year-end went. So Dan, we went into the year-end encouraging our investors to not be afraid of the repo market. We felt that the Fed had done enough through its repo operations and by expanding its balance sheet to ensure an orderly year-end. And we we had targets of seven basis points in two-year swap spreads and over zero in five-year spreads. How did year-end go and how did those targets end up shaping out? Somewhat surprisingly, even to us, we were calling for a fairly orderly year-end. SOFR didn't move a basis point over year-end funding. And this is after turn funding markets had indicated that repo would trade around 4% or so over the new year. And like you said, yeah, the Fed proved to be pretty effective in terms of the support it gave to the repo market. This was both through the reserve growth policies that they did through buying bills and also a slight adjustment to the foreign RRP pool. And also just the daily repo operations, the Fed gave over $400 billion in repo funding that covered the year-end turn. And this proved to be what the market needed. And clearly, this is a bullish sign for swap spreads. And we were anticipating a rather significant widening. But as it turns out, we weren't building in enough widening. Two-year spreads hit a high of 12.5 basis points heading into year-end, but then quickly moved narrower once the new year started. I think it's instructive here to just maybe sort of psychologically try to ignore that 12.5 basis point hit. It just felt like that was a result of one-way traffic in thin holiday markets. Nevertheless, we hit highs we hadn't seen for the majority of the year heading into 2020. Now, taking the experience of year-end and using it to look forward, I think that the orderly handoff from 2019 to 2020 has a few impacts on the markets that we uh, cover, and the first of which is heavy cash investment needs. Obviously, there was a lot of fear out there that year-end funding conditions would deteriorate meaningfully, and a lot of investors kept cash on the sidelines either to weather year-end funding stress or take advantage of it. And then once year-end came and went without really any funding stress, all that cash needed to be put to work. And I think that's what we're seeing here, particularly in primary markets in early 2020. In our 2020 outlook, we encourage investors to participate in some of the first deals of the year, expecting that new issue concession was more likely to fall than rise over the course of January. And that seems to be the case, at least so far this year. Dan, can you give us a quick overview of how primary markets in the IG space have functioned so far this year? 
So the other thing we indicated around issuance in the beginning of this year is that would be particularly front-loaded, and that's due to the holiday schedule during the third and fourth weeks of January with MLK Day and then Lunar New Year. So in the investment-grade corporate market, we've had over $100 billion worth of debt come to market, and this is nearly double the pace of the first two weeks of each of the last two years. In terms of reception, we've seen the new issues come extremely well-received in the corporate space. So new issue concessions, they're averaging less than a basis point so far this year, and that's over a longer-term average we see sort of normal new issue concessions around three or four basis points. Order books are coming fairly well subscribed at 3.3% or so. In recent Januaries, we look at two and a half to three times subscription as being fairly normal. So we see strong reception for the new issues in investment grade primary markets. And in the near term, I don't see any reason to expect this to change, particularly given, like you said, the amount of cash that needs to get put to work. We've seen remarkably strong inflows into investment grade bond funds. And so we continue to encourage investors to take advantage of any concessions that appear in new new issue deals. Yeah, it's a similar story in high grade markets as well. We saw EIB kick off the 2020 issuance period with a five-year that came you know, relatively attractive to secondary markets. It looked like it had a two or so basis point concession to secondaries. But by the time that deal priced, that concession was gone. And it's been one deal after another, most of them in fives, printing with zero or potentially even negative concession. In the second week of the year, a similar story. KFW opened things up with a three-year, the first three-year of the year. Again, two basis points cheap to secondaries, and by pricing, that new issue concession was gone as well. It seemed things really seemed to hit a peak last week when JBIC's three-year tightened five basis points from initial price thoughts with an order book of over $8 billion. I've never seen in the SSA market a deal tighten five basis points from IPTs, and it really just goes to show you how much cash there is out there that needs to get put to work and a growing realization that there's not going to be more attractive opportunities to put that cash to work. And it just seems like now it's a feeding frenzy and people are trying to get invested wherever they can. I think that there are two main reasons for that. First is the sort of benign macro environment. I mean, in the time since our last podcast, we've almost went to war with Iran and spread markets barely budged. There's not much out there in the geopolitical sphere right now. You know, we have an election coming later this year, but Brexit's been resolved. The Iran situation appears to be resolved. And it doesn't appear to be much out there in the geopolitical sphere that's going to threaten spreads. And then on top of that, the second factor is just very supportive technicals, at least in the first half of the year. Looking at the U.S. dollar SSA market in particular, we have February and March being the largest redemption period in a two-month window we have in our data, March being the second largest month by itself in the history of the SSA market. So we have a lot of demand coming from reinvestment and issuance unlikely to pick up meaningfully here in the near term. So just a general recognition that spreads really aren't likely to go anywhere and it might be better to invest at current levels than to try and wait it out for spread widening that may never actually come to pass. Yeah. And similarly, in investment-grade corporate, just to touch on the technicals, in 2019, technicals were remarkably positive investment-grade corporates. We expect them to be even more supportive this year. Similarly, we have elevated redemptions and we expect less financing needs gross too. 
So, Dan, as we sit here, spreads to treasuries in particular across the board are near multi-year tights. Spread relationships in general across the credit spectrum, even moving from SSAs to sort of tier two SSAs and then into IG and down into the triple B and high yield markets are near the tightest spreads we have in our data. Can spreads continue to tighten? Yeah, I think they certainly can, especially with the heavy issuance period behind us. And to be clear, there will still be a good deal of issuance to come for the rest of January, but the bulk of it is likely behind us. And I think as investors now look at where spreads are and realize that they have cash left to be put to work, we could see spreads grind a little bit tighter over the next month. I don't see any reason to expect that spreads are going to move wider before they continue to move tighter. Like you said, risks are fairly muted relative to where they were a few months ago. But I think later on this year, we could see spreads start to kick wider. Until then, though, I think it's going to be kind of technicals leading the charge to narrower spreads for the first and second quarter of this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think with primary markets likely to take a breather here with Lunar New Year for the next week and a half, I think that investors are going to have to look increasingly towards the secondary market to put cash to work with no primary supply. And that could continue to grind spreads narrower still, despite how tight they already are. And you touched on it, Dan, you talked about potential spread widening later in 2020. We laid out the case for that in previous podcasts in our 2020 outlook. And I think that remains our base case, but that is certainly uncertain. And given the balance of risks now, even if we were to get a significant backup in the second half of the year, an investor is still likely best served by putting cash to work now. Yeah. So we talked about this break-even analysis where even if an investor both timed it correctly and took advantage of uh, meaningful backup in spreads, it's likely that an investor would be better served investing at the beginning of the year and picking up that carry for 12 months than they would by hopefully finding a more opportune level to get in and sacrificing carry in the intermediate term. So we think investors are still best served taking advantage of these spreads, even if they are remarkably tight. So yeah, just to put some numbers around it, even at a spread of only eight basis points, which on a month-to-month basis is less than one basis point per month, that can add up over time. And the analysis shows that last year when spread relationships were at similarly tight levels, granted a little bit wider compared to treasuries given the movement in swaps last year, but spread relationships at similar levels, you didn't get to a point in the year last year where spreads widened enough where you were rewarded for delaying investment. Spreads hit their high in about September when we had a 10 to 12 basis point sell-off in spreads. But by that point in time, by sacrificing eight months of carry, you needed spreads to back up about 16 basis points in order to break even. So even if an investor last year had delayed investment and timed the market perfectly, they still weren't rewarded for delaying investment. So this analysis just goes to show the power of carry and that you're not necessarily best served by waiting for that spread widening, particularly in the high-grade markets where a spread widening event would likely only translate to 15, maybe 20 outside of a black swan type of event. So if we're talking about a maximum spread move being only 15 or 20 basis points, there's really not a large margin for error. I mean, you really have to expect to see a spread widening in the next few months. And we just don't see that given how strong technicals are. Now, from a relative value perspective, I mean, we're advocating here for putting money to work, but from a relative value standpoint, is there anything out there that that you think looks compelling at the moment? Yeah, so I think MBS looks fairly attractive right now. Like you mentioned, most of the sectors that we cover have compressed fairly significantly, and nothing looks particularly attractive either on an outright historical basis or versus the other sectors that we cover. For instance, the pickup between 
triple Bs and higher rated corporates is pretty low right now. Moving from agencies to double A's is not a very attractive value proposition. You're not getting much from moving out the credit spectrum. But one exception to this that we find is MBS. For instance, MBS is now trading about a standard deviation and a half cheap to triple B corporates. And another reason that we find MBS fairly compelling right now is this is more a, a technical cheapening than, than anything fundamental, right, Dan? Yeah, I think certainly the main driver here of widening MBS spreads is just simply supply and really coming from two different sources. First, we have just low rates providing high organic growth in the mortgage market. Looking at just numbers from SIFMA, we see mortgage-backed security issuance the highest in the past three years. In fact, the last three years, MBS issuance is greater than the previous seven years combined. And there's a few reasons for this. Low rates, more mortgages coming through, greater bank consolidation, so higher securitization of mortgages, less whole loans sitting on bank balance sheets. And then the second source of supply is obviously the Fed, who since late 2017, they've been allowing MBS to roll off of their portfolio as they try to achieve a more normal historical portfolio composition of mainly treasuries. That continues now where they're letting a maximum of $20 billion continue to roll off per month. And when you combine the organic MBS market growth with the supply that's coming from the Fed, we see 2018 and 2019 easily the two largest years of supply we have in our data. So it's just causing some indigestion in markets that are having to take down a lot more supply than they're used to. And we're seeing banks as being increased holders. Hedge funds are, are adding, according to Z1 data from the Fed. But even still, there's still supply that's not finding a home. Dealer inventories are up over $50 billion in the past year. And, and you're seeing spread widening as a result. Now, we acknowledge that most accounts, unlike other products where investors can pretty nimbly move from, say, SSAs into corporates or corporates into high yield or back into treasuries, they can move pretty nimbly throughout those asset classes, given their similarities. In our experience, a lot of accounts are either MBS buyers or they're not. And those that aren't oftentimes lack trading systems or prepayment models or sophistication necessary to deal with the uncertain cash flow nature of mortgage-backed securities. But we're here to just say that the technical drivers of wide MBS spreads are likely to persist. I mean, the Fed is going to continue letting their portfolio shrink. Rates are low. We should continue to see heavy MBS issuance from the primary market. In fact, there's even reason to think that bank deregulation passed at the end of the last year could result in some additional MBS supply. So let's say it's going to take a few months for an investor to get MBS approved or have the ability to buy. It's probably worth beginning that process because mortgages months from now might still be cheap. And then you can take advantage of some of that attractive relative value. And, and if you are a buyer that can currently buy mortgages, the product makes a ton of sense, both from an RV perspective and when you take into account that our outlook is for a significant repricing of credit in the second half of 2020. Mortgages, given their strong implicit guarantee from the government, would participate likely almost one for one in a flight to quality environment. In 2007, 2008, which was a recession led by the mortgage market, agency-backed MBS participated almost completely in the flight to quality and outperformed all asset classes that weren't treasuries. So it's really the combination of safety and relative value at current levels really makes MBS an attractive investment at, at current levels. So Dan, transitioning over to swap spreads, the other big takeaway from the smooth transition from 2019 to 2020 is, is the excess collateral problem solved? And if it is, what does that mean for swap spreads? 
Sure. So for the foreseeable future, I do think that the excess collateral problem is largely behind us. You can see this through forward-looking SOFR, or just general repo term rates that indicate that going forward for the next six to 12 months, repo levels should be well in line with historicals, well below where they were over the past two years. So now what this means for swap spreads is that I think we're going to see now a new regime for swap spreads, whereas repo is really the dominant driver of swap spreads moving narrower for the past two years or so. I think LIBOR is going to return to be the dominant force that determines where front-end swap spreads trade. Okay, let's take a step back here because you mentioned how LIBOR is sort of the traditional driver of swap spreads, but we had a shift to repo rates last year. And I agree with you there, but I want to take a second just to acknowledge that you know when we're talking about swap spreads, the two main drivers are typically LIBOR and repo rates. And when we set our targets for year end 2019, we set them kind of well above market expectations. We had our, our call for two-year spreads at seven basis points. I think we put that on when two-year spreads were negative three or so, and that's a pretty sizable move. We got those estimates from a model that incorporates movements in LIBOR GC, and I think it's worth talking about now, where are we in terms of that model, and what can we expect to see swap spreads to do, given the current LIBOR GC spread and the fact that GC should remain well-contained in the future? Sure. So just looking at a normal spread between GC and, say, OIS, compared to where we were, say, mid-December, we think that's worth about eight basis points of widening in two-year swap spreads and about three basis points of widening in five-year spreads. So just this relief from elevated repo rates that we attribute to the Fed's growing their balance sheet and also providing repo lending to the market, we think is worth a pretty substantial move wider in two-year and five-year spreads. However, the problem, like you've alluded to, is that while repo is going to now take a backseat as the dominant driver of spreads, LIBOR is once again going to dictate where spreads trade. And Eurodollar futures actually now are implying that LIBOR is going to move significantly narrower. So over the next two years, the FRA OIS curve suggests that LIBOR OIS should remain generally under 20 basis points, whereas it was nearly 40 basis points in mid-December. So while this excess collateral problem is largely behind us, it's not clear that swap spreads are going to move to longer term normal ranges in the 20 basis point or so neighborhood, given that LIBOR should, at least according to market expectations, remain fairly muted for a while. And this is for a number of reasons, but unsecured bank funding is in a very good place right now. Fed bill purchases have kept LIBOR low. You have repo operations in a couple years now of consistent prime fund inflows, the drop in the foreign RRP pool, and then hedging to SOFR is another supportive factor for LIBOR. Yeah, we're seeing for the first time really that we can think of some compelling evidence that investors are looking to hedge with OIS or even SOFR sometimes instead of LIBOR, given the transition is theoretically less than two years away. And and if you have increased investor hedging with OIS, that's naturally a compressor of the Fed funds LIBOR basis. So I actually think given all the constructive support you just laid out for LIBOR, that for OIS might actually be pricing in too high. I think that actual spot 
LIBOR Fed funds could come in at 15 or potentially even through that. I mean, how quickly we can forget, but last year, LIBOR Fed funds bottomed out at about 15 basis points in June. And given how much support there is for the front end now that's been deployed to try and combat high repo rates, that's going to hit LIBOR as well. I, I don't see why we don't go through last year in terms of LIBOR Fed funds. So I do think LIBOR is going to be very low, which removes some of the upside that we were potentially looking for in swap spreads as repo concerns started to fade. But even still, even with an outlook for LIBOR to be very well supported and for LIBOR OAS spreads to compress significantly, even compress more than futures are potentially pricing in right now, I do think there's at least some room for swap spreads to widen here at least a little bit, just given how much had been priced into the GC component of swap spreads. Yeah, I completely agree. So while LIBOR remaining fairly low is going to put sort of a cap on how wide swap spreads can trade, the relief from this funding pressure that we've felt for so long is going to put a floor on swap spreads. I don't think we're going to see two-year spreads at sub three basis points anytime soon. Yeah, I agree with you. So I guess to just kind of bring that discussion to a close, I think we're looking for a grind upwards in swap spreads here over the next three months or so, but we're not looking for any outsized move. We have a target of 12 basis points in two-year spreads and three basis points in fives, which would be the level we'd be looking to sell spreads if they reach those levels. And it might not even get that wide. If you start to see 11 and two there, you might start to look to lighten up spreads. But because at this point, the risk might start to tip towards more narrow spreads just in case the Fed does back out of the support for the repo market they've been providing that, you know, bill purchases are expected to run through March at the earliest. What they do then with bill purchases after that, whether they go into short coupons or shut the program down entirely is unclear. We don't know if there's going to be a standing repo facility. We don't know how long temporary operations are going to go. While we expect the Fed to remain in the market for the foreseeable future, there is a risk that the excess collateral problem rears its head again if the Fed doesn't address things further. So given that and combined with the supportive outlook for LIBOR, we don't think that swap spreads are going to be able to get back to historically normal levels in the course of the next three to six months. So maybe we should just conclude this podcast by sort of bringing all the ideas laid out here into sort of an executive summary, if you will. So I think we talked about swap spreads widening, but not much. So you know, whether you're going to own something versus treasuries or against swaps at this point, we're a bit neutral on that. Was that fair to say? Yeah, maybe a modest preference to benchmark them to swaps. Yeah. And that we think mortgage-backed securities are very attractive. So if you can own MBS, overweighting MBS in portfolios now is a great idea. If you cannot, beginning the approval process, whatever that looks like for you, so that if mortgages remain attractive, you know, whenever you get that approval process complete, like we expect them to, you can then start to allocate some of the portfolio to MBS. And then for any allocation that can't go to MBS, we like investing in whatever asset classes are eligible, just given how supportive the technical picture is in the months ahead. Though, considering our expectation for a spread backup in the second half of 2020 and just how tight everything is across the board. At this point, we prefer up in credit trades because at this point, you're just really not being compensated for the additional risk you're taking with lower credit quality products this late in the cycle. With that, we'd like to thank you for listening to our first podcast episode of the new year. We'll be back in February with another episode. And until then, good luck. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. 
please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 